0: Ephesians chapter 1, if I ask this question, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I, the, the first service actually gave me feedback anyway in such a way that I knew that they were actually resonated. this was resonating with them, but you don't even have to raise your hand. I think I'll be able to pick up on it pretty quick. But I'm going to ask this question, either how many of you have said this or how many of you have had this said to you? Okay, I'm wording it that way because I'm pretty sure it's going to cover everybody, but somebody could catch me off guard. How many of you have either said or have had it said to you, how many times have I told you? Okay, see, there you go. You didn't need to answer or raise your hand. I knew the that you're going to chuckle just like the other ones. We have heard that statement or said that statement. If you are a parent of children, I bet you have said that. If you are a child of parents, you've probably had that said. So why do we do that? Because we're bringing to our kids' attention or our parents are bringing it to our attention that we need to be reminded of something. Something that we have been told or taught before that we have either forgotten or not paid attention to, or uh, it just isn't resonating in the moment with us. And um, this morning, as we work through Ephesians chapter 1, and really as we're just kind of focusing on the first 14 verses, and we're kind of working slowly through these. I'm sure that there are going to be a good number of us in here that are, would say to ourselves, but I've heard this before. I, I, I think I understand this. Um, and that's great. It's still important that we're reminded once again, maybe something that we've already been taught, something all that that we've already heard. And so, I trust that as we work through this passage today, even if it is something that maybe is not brand new to us, it is still valuable to us. Let's start in a word of prayer before we get in. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity that we've had to already praise Your name. We praised Your name in song and Maybe we were concentrating a bit more on the words of the first song because it was new to many of us. Maybe we concentrated on the words of the songs that we sang because we enjoy the songs or we, it's one of our favorites or we've been already reflecting on who you are and we just want to praise you. Maybe it's out of habit And as we look into your word, you'll bring to our mind the words that we've sung and give us a deeper appreciation for what it is that we've already sung. And my prayer is that we would take what your Holy Spirit teaches us from your word today and it would impact the way that we live our lives, but it would also impact our praise as we move through the week. So, God, I pray that you would just do the work that you desire to do in us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. As we have begun working through the book of Ephesians, as we've begun to kind of just slowly work through the first chapter of Ephesians, we have already been taught these things, uh, W.A. Chriswell kind of lists it this way in his Believer's Bible study. He says, in Christ I am, and then he lists from the verses. I'm going to list the first few that we've talked about. One of the words we didn't actually talk about, but it's in there, and if you think about it, 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 is, it, it is taught there, though we didn't actually word it last week, but he reminds us of, in Christ I am blessed, in verse 3. In him, I am chosen, verse 4. In him, I am predestined, verse 5. In him, I am adopted, also in verse 5. In him, I am accepted. Wall gets that from the statement, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us. We're accepted. And that's part of being adopted into his family. We've already talked about those. We may have actually already known those. We may have a better appreciation of the truth of Scripture that was taught to us in this passage. My hope is that we'll have a better appreciation and understanding of the next three that we're going to talk about from verses 7 through 10. We're going to be talking about the fact that in Christ I am redeemed, I am forgiven, and I am enlightened. And so we're going to work through verses 7 through 10, Lord willing, this morning, but I want us to just take a step back and reread the first 14 verses because within these verses are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ that we are talking about, that we are working through, that we are being reminded of that should bring us to a place like Paul where we just sing out, cry out, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to God Almighty. Paul says this in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, That he lavished on us in the Beloved One. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. In Him you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. These are the verses. This is not all of chapter 1. We're going to get into the other um, parts of chapter 1 as we continue on. But we're really focusing on this section because this is kind of a section that goes all together. And we've already talked about the blessings that we've received from God, every spiritual blessing. And we're kind of working down through the spiritual blessings that Paul's recording for us here. He's talking to these believers And he's reminding them in this particular passage, verses 7 through 10, first of all, that they are redeemed. So we're going to talk about the fact that we are redeemed as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a letter written to Christians. And so as Christians, as people who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and when we believed, we have been redeemed. Many of us already know what redemption is, or we've we've had it taught to us. Many times we talk about it when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It may become old hat to us, but I trust that it's not. In the New Testament, there are really three Greek words that go with the the teaching of redemption. And I want us to kind of work through that as we understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed, As I was studying this out, I could not help but think about a slave market because it is completely tied to this teaching of redemption. For the Ephesian believers, they would have known what a slave market was. They would have known what a slave auction was. When they heard the word redemption, likely they were at least thinking of this concept to some extent. Because in the Roman world, but also in the Greek world, but even to the Jews that may have been living in Ephesus. To the Jewish believers that would have heard this letter written or read to them, they would have known exactly what slavery was. They would have known what a slave market was. For us, it seems foreign maybe. We've had, we've had to do a little bit of research on it, or we've heard it in, in, a, in a history class or... Maybe in a little bit of the conversation that's being had in the 21st century, the idea of uh, child slavery or sex slavery, it's beginning to kind of sink in a little bit. But the believers in the first century would have known exactly what a slave market was, what exactly a slave auction was. And so when they heard about being redeemed, they likely were thinking about this at least to some extent. In the Greek, one of the words that's used for redeem is the word agorazo. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. I could be totally wrong on my pronunciation. Bear with me. But it's the Greek word that the word agora or marketplace comes from. So it is the idea of to buy. So when... Paul records for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the truth of the fact that we as believers have been redeemed. He says we have been redeemed through His blood, Jesus' blood. We have been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about the idea of redemption, as we think about the truth of being forgiven of our sins, really we are taken to this place of thinking that as sinful human beings, we're like slaves at a slave market. We are captive to sin. We are slaves to sin. It is our master, and we will serve it and we are being sold on a regular basis to the sinful lusts and desires and behaviors that we follow after. It's our master. We're, we're bound to it. And then Jesus comes along, and through the shed blood of, uh, of Himself on the cross of Calvary, He purchases us off of that slave market, out of that slave auction. That's the idea. That's the idea, but it starts with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that He shed as the purchase price for our salvation. This is mentioned or taught by Paul again in, in Colossians 1. I want to read these verses to you. Because Colossians is really a sister book to Ephesians. And if you have an opportunity, I really would encourage you that as we're working through the book of Ephesians, read through the book of Colossians. You'll be amazed at how much Paul teaches the same things in each of the books. But he comes at it from a little different perspective. And it gives us such a robust understanding. He says this in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness... and transferred us into the kingdom of of the Son He loves. In Him, Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here Paul elaborates or comes from the perspective that when He rescues us, He ransoms us, that's part of the redemption process. He's paid the price that was needed to free us. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we're brought from the domain of darkness. Scripture describes us as sinful people, as being blind. Being in, in darkness, we live out sinful desires. We have sinful thoughts. We have Corrupt attitudes, We just continue to follow after that. We're just groping in the dark as sinful people. And yet Jesus purchases us with His blood. First Peter chapter one, Peter says this in verses 18 through 21. He says, "For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited by your ancestors." So there, Peter gives us even a broader, more robust picture. Not only were we redeemed or uh, purchased from our sinfulness or ransomed from from the domain of darkness, but we have been redeemed from our empty way of life, living after things that cannot satisfy Pursuing vanity after vanity after vanity and never being satisfied, never really living the life that God desires for us to live. Peter says, you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver and gold. On the slave market, those that wanted to purchase the slave They'd look over the slaves, see if they were strong enough, see if they had some pretty decent physical characteristics. Sometimes, if it was in the case of women, oftentimes it was to see whether or not they were were worth having children by. And then they would purchase them with silver and gold. A disgusting process of a person selling another human being to serve somebody else. They were purchased with perishable things like silver and gold, but when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for us, he purchased us from the slave market of sin when we trusted Christ as Savior. And Peter says that, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. I'm going to read this, and Lord willing, we'll come back to it just to, to tie things together. But verse 21, Peter says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Purchased us with his precious blood. But we've already talked about the fact that when we are redeemed, we're not just purchased. We're not just purchased by Jesus' blood. He didn't just pay the price. But the next Greek word is ex agarazo, which means to buy out of the marketplace. He purchased us never to return there again. The problem with... The slave in the first century was, you know what, if the slave owner, the master, got tired of the slave, they lived out their usefulness, displeased them in some way, what would they do? They would just take them back to the slave market and sell them to somebody else. But for us who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are never to return to the slave market again. Sin is not our master anymore. that we might never be sold under the power of sin again. It's a beautiful picture. But there's a third word, where the two actually go right together, like hand and glove, and you can see that in the actual Greek words. There's one more word. Lutro. It means to set free or to loose. And it's tied to the word ransom that is really synonymous to what we're learning here or being reminded of this morning, that when we are redeemed through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not just bought. He didn't just pay the purchase price by His precious blood, but He bought us never to be sold on the slave market of sin ever ever again, and then He set us free. Jesus actually says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. We are no longer slaves to sin. It is no longer our master. Scripture actually tells us that we are now servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is our master and Lord. But we have complete freedom in Christ. Sin doesn't have to have power over us. It doesn't have to have control over our lives. We talked about it last week. Peter says it in 2 Peter chapter 1. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness by the power of Christ. We can live victorious Christian lives because we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one that we're reminded of here. Paul tells us, but in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That's the second thing that I want us to see is we are forgiven. We are forgiven of our sins. Past, present, and future. We are no longer under the power of sin. We are forgiven from the penalty of sin. We are free from the presence of sin in our lives. The psalm writer says it this way in Psalm 31. I just want to read it because he takes time as he thinks of the fact that Christ, that God has forgiven him of his trespasses and sins, and as he's thinking about the grace of God, the salvation of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, he says this. and. Psalm 32, verse 1, he says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He was crying out in joy to the Lord because God forgave him of his sins. He said, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity. Because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed from our sin by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not charge us with our sins any longer. He does not hold that against us any longer. Isn't that beautiful? See, Paul's reminding the Ephesian believers that we can say, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we can declare His glory And his grace and his awesomeness. Why? Because we're reminded of what Christ has done for each and every one of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ. How can we not say, God, I just want to praise you for all that you've done for me. I didn't deserve it. There is nothing that I could have done to ever merit this. You just lavished your grace upon me. He finishes it off by saying, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us. You ever thought about the grace of God in your life? Has it brought you to a place where you want to just praise God for who he is and what he's done? Or do we take that for granted? Do we sometimes almost think that we are owed it? God's unmerited favor towards us. When we're reminded of the fact that we've been redeemed and we are forgiven, it helps us to better understand what John says in 1 John. When he says, look, the reality of it is is that in our corrupt, sinful flesh, we are still going to wrestle with sin. Though we don't have that penalty of sin against us anymore, that the presence of sin does not have to be something as dominant in our lives The power, that that sin has no power over us at all. There are still times when we wrestle with the sinful flesh. And yet, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, John reminds us that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that intimate fellowship with Almighty God can be restored and we can continue to walk the way that God has called us to walk. Why? Because we've been redeemed. We are forgiven. Paul says that is something to extol God about, to just praise Him and bless Him because of what He's done for us. Third thing is that He's enlightened us. We are enlightened. I didn't. That's not my word. That's a word that W.A. Chriswell used. I, I kind of snagged that from him. It just kind of sums up. What verse 8 says, after we've been reminded that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding, he's enlightened us. As I studied out the phrases wisdom and understanding in this particular context, there are a few different writers that had Similar things to say, but sometimes they express it a little bit better than others, and I really appreciated the way that MacArthur summed up these two words. He explains it this way. When talking about wisdom, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding, or in some translations, it's the word insight instead of understanding. MacArthur says this, "...the second result of redemption for the believer is being given wisdom and insight." Wisdom here emphasizes understanding of ultimate things, such as life and death, God and man, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell, eternity and time. Paul is speaking of wisdom concerning the things of God. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has also enlightened us. He's given us wisdom. He's given us that, I'm going to use the word understanding here, that understanding of these deep things that relate to God, heaven and hell, God and us. We have a better appreciation of who God is and His holiness and His majesty and His omniscience and His omnipresence and His omnipotence. We have a better understanding of us and our sinfulness and our desperate need to be saved. We have better understanding of heaven and hell and where people will spend eternity We have a better understanding of righteousness and sin. And as we understand these things, why we should be able to communicate these things to people who desperately need to hear them because we have been taught this by God through His Holy Spirit. But then there's the insight, or in my translation, the word understanding, it means this. It's, on the other hand, MacArthur says... It emphasizes the practical understanding, the comprehension of needs and problems and principles of everyday living. It is spiritual prudence in handling the daily affairs. As we have been taught all wisdom and all understanding, we understand the deep spiritual things, but we understand the practical everyday things. Is it surprising that Paul says these things? As Paul is going to take time through the book of Ephesians to to remind the believers of the deep theological doctrinal things so that when he gets to the practical everyday things, they have the grounding that they need to live it out. It shouldn't be surprising then that after Paul has reminded us of the forgiveness of sins, the redemption that we have in Christ, that Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and following, he says, and don't grieve the God, uh, God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. What does he mean by grieving the Holy Spirit? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It breaks God's heart when we do that. And then Paul goes on to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. These are things that should never characterize the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. He goes on, and he says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. If I really understand the grace of God, if I really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I really understand redemption and the forgiveness of sins, you know what? Then my life's not going to be characterized by bitterness or slander or anger or malice. I'm going I'm going to live being kind to one another and compassionate and willing to forgive. I hope for you this is resonating like it's resonating with me. Because you know what? I fail miserably when it comes to kindness and compassion. There are times when I am reluctant to forgive those who I think have offended me, and yet As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I should not be reluctant to convey grace to other people when I understand the grace that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. I shouldn't be reluctant to forgive those who have sinned against me. Why? Because I fully grasp and understand the forgiveness that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about what... Peter said to Jesus in the Gospels where he says, how many times do I forgive someone who's offended me? Jesus, seven times? What's Jesus' response? No, 70 times seven. And we know, because <clears throat> we've heard it before, Jesus is not throwing out an arbitrary number so that when we get to that point, we can say, done, don't need to forgive anymore. Got to that 400 and whatever. I'm not even doing the math. Don't care. I'm not a mental math guy. But that's not the point. I'm not chalking up counting. How many times I've forgiven somebody? Ouch! At the end. No, Jesus is reminding us. He's challenging His disciples. You know what? We are to forgive and forgive and forgive because we understand the forgiveness that we've experienced. I think of the practical outworkings of what we know as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. My brother and I were talking about how Christians sometimes face death. And sometimes Christians, we will do everything that we can to keep living on this earth. And we get discouraged when the healing doesn't come and the medications don't work And we wrestle with that when we see loved ones going through these things. And yet, if we looked at the way that Paul approached these things as he really understood with the insight and the understanding that God had given to him, Paul said, Look, for me to live is Christ. As long as I'm on this earth, it gives me an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with everybody I can. For me to live is Christ. But what does he say? He says, But you know what? To die is gain. That's having the, the, the deep spiritual things that we understand impact the everyday practical living. It's easy for me to say, I'm, I'm not in there. You could say, look, Dave, you, you seem relatively healthy. You're not on death's bed, except that I don't know how much time I have. Any more than you know how much time you have. And so, do we understand or have an appreciation of the wisdom and understanding that God has given to us so that we live out practically what we know from the Word of God? Christian, maybe you've been reminded of something today. And that's okay. Okay because it's important to be reminded of the truths of Scripture because they impact how we live our lives. We just don't have the time to get more in-depth in the last part, but I want to read these last few verses. It says, In He made known to us the mystery of His will. If I had time, I could flesh this out a little bit more, but I don't. But for the Jewish community, when they understood what redemption was all about, it would have taken them back to the goats on the Day of Atonement and the one being sacrificed and the blood sprinkled in the most holy place and in the court of meeting. And then the second one having Aaron's hands laid on it and the sins of the people being laid on that goat to be taken out into the wilderness. But you know, that was a one time temporary sacrifice that was done year in and year out. It was not the ultimate sacrifice. It was a shadow of what was to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, you know what, that mystery of God's will that's been made known to us. We know now. The Lord Jesus Christ came according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ the plan for the right time, that every sh- everything that should be brought, excuse me, that everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. Do we have a better love and appreciation and gratitude and praise for Almighty God? I trust, Christian, that it makes us want to praise God all the more and I want to read the lyrics to this hymn by John Wesley. Because as you think about what Christ has done for us, if, 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 if nothing else, it should cause us to praise God more. It should really translate into our everyday Christian lives. But even if all it does is cause us to praise God more, this is the praise from the lips of Wesley. He says this, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. To God all glory, praise and love be now and ever given by saints below and saints above, the church in earth and heaven. We want to praise God with every fiber of our being because we have been redeemed, we've been forgiven, and we've been enlightened. I trust that we will, that we want to, you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we've just got done talking about the extent to which the Lord Jesus went for your salvation, to redeem you, to ransom you, to purchase you from the slave market of sin that you're on right now, a slave to sin doing what it wants in your life, but you can have freedom in Christ. You can have forgiveness of your sins. You can spend eternity with Almighty God and enjoy Him now in personal relationship. I plead with you, trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Believe in the gospel of salvation that you heard preached today.